This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Do you think there's any chance for justice in these cases? What would justice be? I don't know, honestly. I guess justice would be some kind of resolution, whether it become, you know, finding their bodies, whether someone is charged criminally with something. The chances that Terrence is going to come walking in the door one day and say, hey, mom, I'm home, um, are probably unlikely. Is it possible that, you know, a body is discovered or bones are discovered? or something that you can tie back to one of them is discovered. Um, I definitely think that that's possible. For me, that's the difference between what's resolution and justice. This woman spent nearly, you know, most of her adult life without a son. To me, for what has happened, there is no justice for that. I'm Janine Zeitlin, and this is The Last Ride from the USA Today Network Florida and WGCU Public Media, distributed by the NPR Network. Episode 8, Pursuing Justice. Some context to the conversation you just heard. I was talking with my former colleagues Ryan Mills and Melanie Payne in 2022. We were discussing the abrupt conclusion to the civil lawsuit that Marcia Williams had filed in 2018 against Stephen Calkins. The suit alleged that the former Collier County Sheriff's deputy had abducted and murdered Marcia's son, Terrence Williams. Marcia filed the suit with support from filmmaker Tyler Perry and civil rights attorney Ben Crump. After so many years of investigations that led nowhere, searches and tips that turned up nothing, and silence from Stephen Calkins, the lawsuit seemed like a flare in a sea of stagnation. Just maybe the legal system could force an answer to the question that's been lodged in the hearts of the missing men's families. The same question hanging over Calkins and gnawing at our community. Did Stephen Calkins have something to do with the disappearances of Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams? Because no one has been able to answer what happened to Felipe after he was seen in Calkins' patrol car in October 2003. What happened to Terrence after he was seen in Calkins' patrol car in January 2004? In this episode, our final episode, we'll hit the highlights of how the civil lawsuit against Calkins unfolded. And we'll hear from Calkins, who was forced to answer questions in a deposition. The questioning led to several tense moments between Calkins and the lawyers for Terrence's mother. But you surely want to find who did this, don't you? I've never hurt anybody. I can't say I, Yes, you are. I have never hurt anybody, and I do care about them. So it was an accident? Is it an accident that they disappeared? I don't know what it is. We'll spend more time with the 10-hour Calkins deposition later in this episode. And we'll also learn how the COVID-19 pandemic may have altered the outcome of the lawsuit. First, let's talk about how the civil suit came about. It is, in itself, an interesting story. The mystery grew older and colder after years of dead ends. But Tyler Perry stoked some hope. He hired Ben Crump to take the case. 
I reached out to him after talking to Marcia, who did not want to file the civil suit. I was uh, looking forward to getting Stephen Calkins on the record in a deposition so that we could have more answers. And um, I thought he was the man to make that happen. Something happened. There are answers. Stephen Calkin knows what happens. In September 2018, Tyler Perry joined Marcia Williams at a press conference at the Naples Daily News. That's where we started back in episode one, and where Ben Crump announced the civil lawsuit against Calkins. This lawsuit is going to formally say what people have been informally saying, and that is that he intentionally murdered Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos. To us, the local reporters who had been trailing these cases for so long, it felt like a pivotal moment. One way or another, would a verdict on Stephen Calkins finally come? Though the suit was filed on behalf of Terrence's mother and his four children, Crump said the goal was to discover information for the family of Felipe Santos, too. As we understand it, there is not the evidence of the bodies to be able to charge with murder. Uh, and in our system of justice, we have two areas of justice that we can explore. We hold out hope that the civil lawsuit can lead to the collection of evidence to be able to have criminal charges brought. Calkins has never been charged in relation to the disappearances, though he remains the only person of interest. He has long denied any involvement. During the press conference, Terrence's mother spoke about the unimaginable road she's been stuck on and what it's been like for Terrence's children. I just want to let you know I'm still here and I'm not going anywhere. Uh, I want you to pray for my grandkids. The oldest one right now, she's, she's still struggling. She's struggling hard. And I'm not going to let it go until I get the answers that they deserve to have. It's not one day that does not go by that I just want to break down. It's a very hard journey, and I don't wish this on anybody. But if it happens, I'm here to help you. I know that God does have it in his plan to work it out. And we're going to see the justice is done, that this deputy pays for what he deserves to get. Because he took my child. I don't like that, and I'm going to keep on fighting to the very end. Both she and Tyler Perry encouraged the crowd gathered in the community room of the Naples newspaper to share the story of the disappearances. You have the power in here to help the story get out. It's a new day with social media. It's a new day with these movements. We all have the power to get the story out. So it's my hope and prayer that you all will help us, stand with us, stand with Marcia and her grandkids, Terrence's kids, stand with the Santos family in prayer as we go through this. So God bless you and thank you. Stephen Calkins wasn't in Naples at the time. He had moved to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. One of our reporters back then wrote about how Calkins avoided attempts for service of court papers. Eventually, after two Cedar Rapids cops showed up, Calkins was served the summons. And due process began. In January 2019, Calkins filed a motion to dismiss the civil suit. In it, he said he was having a hard time getting a lawyer. He wrote, It is extremely unfair to the defendant in this case that overexposure has occurred 
due to Benjamin Crump and Hollywood actor Tyler Perry being involved. I have respect for both of these men. However, it will be impossible now for the defendant to obtain a fair judgment from any jury in America. A hearing on his motion was set for the next month, Valentine's Day 2019. Good afternoon. We have a hearing scheduled for 15 minutes in case number 18CA-2611, the state of Williams versus Calkins. Mr. Calkins, are you on the telephone? Yes, I am. All right. Thank you, sir. And will the counsel for the plaintiff identify himself, please? Yes, Your Honor. It's Christopher O'Neill. Christopher O'Neill is an attorney with the Ben Crump firm. According to the firm's website, his title is Chief Integration Officer, and he's a former police officer. O'Neill was representing Terrence's family. Calkins was representing himself. He made his argument first. We've edited some of this and other court-related audio for clarity and time. There are no material facts at all. I see allegations only. And I know I'm not a lawyer, but I can read. Allegations, accusations, speculations, and opinions are not proof. There's been no murder from what I can see. There's what, where, when, and how. There's no evidence. There's no videos. There's no witnesses. I, I don't see where this can uh, go forward at all. Uh, I just don't see any proof of the allegations here to make the statute of limitations not work in my favor. Thank you very much. His argument lasted about three minutes. O'Neill then argues that Calkins's claims are, quote, Woefully insufficient. I believe the defendants make conclusory allegations that are woefully insufficient at this stage of the proceedings. The magistrate swiftly arrived at a decision. The statute of limitations has a, an exception for murder, and the allegations in this complaint are that a homicide was committed. All the claims are allegations. They do not need to be supported by factual allegations at the pleading stage. Therefore, I will deny the motion to dismiss. Not long after that defeat, Calkins found a lawyer in Naples, John Hooley. My colleague Ryan asked Hooley how that came about in a brief courthouse interview. I think he reached out to me because he realized he needed a real attorney. According to Hooley's LinkedIn profile, he's been practicing law in Naples since at least the 1980s. After several months of motions and responses filed between both sides, in an August 2019 hearing... Hooley pushed for Terrence's mother, Marcia Williams, to offer up proof that Calkins was responsible for murdering Terrence. The filing included a televised one-hour press conference with Tyler Perry. At the press conference, Mr. Crump and Mrs. Williams publicly accused my client of murdering her son. She has no proof. She just has her suspicion and her anger. So what has happened? Steve Calkins, his wife, and his family have been harassed on the internet, have been harassed with telephone calls, have been harassed by news media outlets, and people shun them. Mrs. Williams and her attorneys chose this court to prove that Stephen Calkins murdered Mr. Williams. It's not a court of public opinion, it's a court of law. It's time for Ms. Williams and Mr. Crump to produce their evidence. And if they have no evidence, the case should be dismissed with prejudice. Collier County Circuit Judge Lauren Brody asked for an update from Christopher O'Neill, 
who was appearing by phone for the family of Terrence Williams. This case is very old, and it has to be geared up for trial sometime early to mid of next year. Thank you, Your Honor. We are having some difficulty locating some of our witnesses. O'Neill said that they were having a hard time finding some of the witnesses and getting them to respond. They were also trying to get the latest police file. The judge gave them more time. A footnote here about Hooley's evidence point. Law enforcement maintains they never found probable cause that Stephen Calkins committed a crime. But as we've talked about in earlier episodes, the Collier Sheriff's Office didn't search Calkins's car until two months after the second man, Terrence, disappeared. Calkins's stories about dropping the men off at Circle K stores were never backed up. And an internal affairs investigation into Terrence's disappearance found about two dozen instances where Calkins's statements contained lies, contradictions, or were misleading. After that investigation ended in 2004, Calkins was fired and stopped cooperating with the Collier Sheriff's Office. Okay, back to the court stuff. Ryan caught up with Hooley after the August 2019 hearing. Who's he being harassed by? You know, internet rants. Anonymous telephone calls. Nobody's got any evidence. And they've had 69 days to give me names and addresses of witnesses. They've had 69 days to give me documents that prove anything in the case. Ryan followed Hooley to continue the interview. How am I going to prove to you that he's innocent? i got to find the body of Terrence Williams. Well, nobody else has been able to. Why am I ever going to be able to do that? The conversation turned to motive. Tell me why come up with some crazy reason why Stephen Calkins would take some random black guy and kill him. I mean, really. I just can't imagine any. I gotta run, guys. Let me give you a call sometime. Okay. But as the case moved forward, there were some hiccups. There were two instances in 2019 when no one from the Ben Crump firm called in or showed up to court. Crump's Florida office is based in Tallahassee, seven hours north of Naples. Judge Brody was not pleased when she called the firm in October 2019 after the second instance. This is the second time I've had a case management conference where they haven't called in. So I don't know if they're not interested in pursuing this case or what the, is there a problem? So uh, please let me know that I'm a little frustrated this happened for a second time. The Crump firm was definitely interested in pursuing the case. Christopher O'Neill was present to represent the Williams family at the rescheduled hearing in November. A few months later, in January 2020, Judge Brody ordered the case to non-binding arbitration. Arbitration is a way to privately resolve a dispute outside of court. Non-binding arbitration is common in civil cases. It can be simpler and less expensive than going to trial. But everything stalled in March 2020, when the COVID shutdowns began. On March 11, 2020, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. That spring, the tragedies piled on. Also in March 2020, Brianna Taylor was shot and killed by police officers during a botched raid on her home. Ben Crump took her case two months later in May, which was also the same month George Floyd was murdered by a police officer. Crump's firm represented Floyd's family, too. A third lawyer, Devin Jacob, joined the Crump team to help with the Terrence Williams case. 
According to Jacob's website, he is a civil rights lawyer and a former police officer. Police misconduct is a focus. He's served as co-counsel with Ben Crump on other cases, including representing the family of George Floyd. Both Devin Jacob and John Hooley, the lawyer for Stephen Calkins, were on Zoom for a court hearing in October 2020. The official proceedings hadn't started yet, but a lot of people were on the call, including one of our journalists. It was a time when the world was still adjusting to the ins and outs of doing business on Zoom, and Hooley was being surprisingly frank. He mentions one of the civil lawsuit's allegations, that Terrence Williams was heard in the background of a dispatch call Calkins made. I'm going to file a motion to strike portions of the pleading where Terrence Williams is heard in the background on some recording. You know, there's no basis for that. And then uh, Felipe Santos, come on. You can't even prove that Mr. Calkins was involved in his disappearance. I think he comes in for other reasons, but we can discuss that off of here. <laughs> You're going to get him convicted because two people disappeared that he came in contact with 90 days apart. Okay, I, 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 you know, rife for an appeal. This is Judge Brody. I just want everyone to know that there are reporters on the phone, that there are other lawyers on the phone. And I think it's most prudent not to discuss specifics of your case while there are probably 20 other people listening. Once the hearing began, the judge asked for an update on the non-binding arbitration. Uh, Your Honor, the arbitration was held. There was a, a bit of a delay. They, uh, the arbitrator wanted some uh, case law, and frankly, I got COVID, and so we got a little bit behind. But the uh, arbitrator has now closed the record and is in the process of issuing a decision. The arbitration had been held a few months earlier. Both sides had presented their arguments. The arbitrator's decision was to be sealed, which is common. Presumably, that's partly so the decision won't affect the outcome of the case if it does move forward to trial. Later that month, October 2020, we were on another Zoom hearing where the judge, Hooley, and Jacob discussed several motions in the case. During that hearing, Jacob brought up their request for an in-person deposition of Stephen Calkins. Your Honor said that we could depose uh, Mr. Calkins in person by the end of July. I did try to schedule that numerous times, uh, but there was a back and forth, and there was a concern for Mr. Calkins, a renewed concern about uh, health and safety. Um, so m- my suggestion is just to sort of put the deposition on hold for a few more months, and then we do it in person. It's a very important deposition. Calkins's lawyer had argued against an in-person deposition. In court records, he cited Calkins's asthma and the pandemic. But at this hearing, Judge Brody suggested it could be done with social distancing protocols in Iowa, where Calkins was living. She gave them until early December 2020 to complete it. Shortly after the judge's decision, I spoke with Marcia Williams by Zoom. She said one of her main goals for filing the civil lawsuit was to compel Calkins to answer questions about the disappearances. He needs to tell the truth. Like it's life depend on it. I want to know what happened to my child. What did you do? Because you really had no business touching my child. And what he should have done, he should have allowed Terrence to call home. That would have been categorized as serve and protect. The long-awaited deposition took place in early December 2020. It was a Tuesday morning and cold, of course, 
as is the winter in the Midwest. Stephen Calkins arrived at the Country Inn and Suites near the Cedar Rapids, Iowa airport for the interview that began just after 9.30. The hotel was a short jog off the interstate and near Casey's General Store and the Prairie Bible Church. It sat near a cornfield with silos in the backdrop. Also at the Country Inn, Ben Crump and Devin Jacob for the Williams family and Calkins' lawyer from Naples, John Hooley. You'll hear Hooley in the background of several clips. We obtained video of the deposition through a public records request. Calkins sat before the camera. He was then in his mid-60s and wore a button-down shirt. He had short gray hair, a trimmed mustache, and wire-rimmed glasses. Sir, if you'd raise your right hand, do you swear the testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Thank you. Um, Can you say your full name for the record? Stephen Calkins. One of the first questions out of the gate cut straight to the jugular. It came less than 10 minutes into the deposition from Ben Crump. Mr. Stephen Calkins, did you kill Terrence Williams? No. Mr. Stephen Calkins, did you kill Felipe Santos? I object. After the lawyers haggled a bit, Crump asked the question again. Mr. Stephen Calkins, did you kill Felipe Santos? No. Mr. Stephen Calkins, can you explain to the court why both Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos went missing and vanished from the face of the earth, never to be seen again after you took them in custody and put them in the back of your police cruiser? Objection to the form. Answer if you can. No. Crump tries a different tact, asking Calkins to judge his actions from a place of faith. What religion are you, uh, Mr. Calkins? What religion am I? Yes, sir. I was raised as a Baptist. Do you still consider yourself a Baptist as it relates to your faith? Yes, I do. Do you believe in heaven and hell? Yes, sir. Based solely on the totality of your God-known contact with Terrence Williams, with all of your thoughts and deeds regarding Terrence Williams, if answered truthfully, get you into heaven? Yes. I hadn't expected Calkins to confess to being involved in the disappearances during the deposition, Yet I was hopeful some information would come out that may help. Instead, we heard a lot of mundane biographical details about Calkins, like how he played the accordion as a kid, that he was in the 4-H club for a while, and that he uses an inhaler for asthma. And we heard a lot of this. I don't remember. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know. I, I don't remember. I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't remember. By our audio editor's tally from the transcript, Calkins stated, I don't recall, 25 times. I don't know, more than 85 times. And I don't remember, roughly 140 times. She also noticed that Calkins often responded those ways when he was being grilled about his interactions with Terrence. Here's one example. Lawyer Devin Jacob is handling this line of questioning. All right, so... Terrence Williams 
he asks for a ride, you initially tell him no. Why is it that you eventually say yes? I don't know. You don't know? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, he, he seemed like a really nice man, and it wasn't that far away. It only take a minute. Okay. So I did. I'm a helpful person. What can I say? Later in the deposition, Jacob got more I don't knows from Calkins when he asked about a situation where Calkins wasn't so helpful. A little context before we get to the next clip. One of the inconsistencies we've discussed in earlier episodes is Calkins' statements about encountering Terrence. When he was first asked by the Collier County Sheriff's Office about picking Terrence up in his patrol car, he didn't recall much of anything. As Terrence's family pressed for answers, Calkins wrote a detailed report. Jacob asks why Calkins didn't reach out to Terrence's family when he learned Terrence was missing after he did recall meeting Terrence. You know that there's a mother out there whose child is missing, who you just led to believe that you had no information about. Hours later, you suddenly recall, did you pick up the phone and tell dispatch, get a hold of her and tell her this is what happened? I don't remember. Wouldn't that have been the prudent thing to do? Don't know. Wouldn't that have been the responsible thing to do? Didn't you have a duty as a law enforcement officer to get that information to the mother? I don't know how to answer that at this time, sir. Calkins also says he doesn't remember how he described Terrence's car as a homie Cadillac in a dispatch call the day of Terrence's disappearance. Jacob pushes Calkins on that memory lapse. And then you started calling him, what'd you call him, a homie no. to, to the dispatcher? I don't remember. What do you mean you don't remember? You've been talking, we've talked about this stuff. You reviewed it. You don't remember being called out on, on calling somebody a derogatory term, even if it was joking? You don't remember that? Me or the dispatcher? You. I don't recall at this time. I'm sorry. It was a long deposition. And a lot of the questions followed up on statements Deputy Calkins made to the Collier County Sheriff's Office about his interactions with Terrence Williams. Since we've dug into a lot of that in earlier episodes, we won't rehash everything. But we will spend a little time with a question that lawyer Devin Jacob repeatedly returned to. How Calkins got Terrence's full name and a specific fake birth date. Here's why that question is relevant. In a dispatch call after stopping Terrence, Calkins acted like he didn't know who Terrence's car belonged to and reported it as abandoned. Shortly after, in another call to dispatch, Calkins used Terrence's full name and the birth date to check for warrants, though he didn't say why he was asking. Questions about that call came up during a 2004 polygraph test the sheriff's office gave Calkins. When the examiner asked Calkins if Terrence was with him when he checked for warrants with the birth date, Calkins said no. The examiner concluded that he was lying. In the 2020 deposition, Jacob questions how Calkins got Terrence's information. You told me that there was no records found in the car, but then you call in the dispatch only, I think it's 16 minutes 
after the tow truck leaves with the car and you have a name and date of birth to run. How is that? I don't know. Well, that's a suspicious question, isn't it? That's one you're going to have to answer before a jury. You've had how many years now to figure this out? 16 years. You still can't tell me how you got that name and date of birth? Not exactly. Here's a question for you. The date of birth that you called in was only known to the Social Security Administration and to his mother. No one else. It was a wrong date of birth. But you had it within minutes of stopping him. How? I don't know. I don't remember. Well, what, where did you get it from? I don't remember. Jacob didn't explain how the Social Security Administration knew it. But the lawyer was not satisfied with Calkins's response. He asked again. Now, didn't you get the incorrect date of birth that only the Social Security Administration knew? Didn't you get that directly from Terrence Williams? Asked and answered, but answered again. I don't remember. And again. Minutes after the car's towed, you suddenly have the date of birth of 4175. You also have the first name, the middle initial, and the last name of the individual that you told me you only had the first name of, and they didn't find any, any information in the vehicle. Explain. I can't. I don't remember. Is that a lie? No. I don't remember. In the 10-hour deposition, we did not hear any major revelations. Nor did we hear any smoking guns. And the lawyers worked hard to pry anything out of Stephen Calkins. Devin Jacob questioned Calkins' story about whether Terrence Williams would have asked him, a white police officer, for help in that situation. Why would a black man in Naples, Florida, in that area, in a Cadillac, who doesn't have a license, doesn't have a valid tag on his car, invite you to interact with him by motioning for you to come talk to him and do a traffic stop that he knows is going to result in further investigation? I don't know. Does, it, does that even sound credible that that would happen? I don't know. Did you ever ask him? Did you ever say, sir, all due respect, are you nuts? <laughs> Seriously, did you? I know I would have. No. The Collier County Sheriff's Office, in its internal affairs investigation, found that Deputy Calkins could have arrested or cited Terrence Williams for six violations. You didn't write him any tickets, is that correct? Him being Terrence Williams? Oh, um, no. Or did you write a ticket and then discard it? I don't believe so. Well, what are you supposed to do with tickets that you void? Each ticket's supposed to be accounted for, isn't it? I believe so. The questions were building up to a heated exchange and to a very curious detail, one that I hadn't heard before. So, ticket 9661-C as in Charlie, N as in Nancy, A as in Apple, was issued on January 7th, 2004, five days before Mr. Williams went missing. <coughs> Excuse me. Ticket number 9663 dash C as in Charlie, N as in Nancy, A as in Alpha, dated, was issued on January 13, 2004, one day after Mr. Williams went missing. Ticket number 9662, dash C Charlie, and Nancy, A Alpha, 
missing. The only ticket that is missing from your book is the one that right before the ticket that was issued the very next day to somebody else after the Williams incident. Is that just a coincidence? Object to the form of the question. May I see the ticket book, please? No, you may not. I'm asking you a question. I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. Well, do numbers such as... No, I don't remember the numbers of citations. Wow, we're getting defensive. Is well, I don't know what, what you're... You've got a ticket book right. that I supposedly had. And you looked up tickets that I wrote. And one's missing on a certain day. Right? I'm not answering your questions. I asked you a question. Well, I'm just trying to get to the bottom of this ticket book thing. Well, I'm asking you, why is the ticket? I don't know. Now, come on. My ticket Objection. book. Was, was How would I know? I don't know what Your ticket book. A certain Objection. ticket. Did you give it to anybody Wait else? a minute. Wait. As they talk over each other, a woman, presumably the shorthand reporter trying to get it all down, intercedes. Please let him object. And I know you guys are going, but can you please work with me a little here? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. There were also a few random details that came out that evolved to bigger questions, like the moment we'll hear next. It starts with Calkins describing where he keeps his own records. This is your life on the line, potentially, right? You tell me you don't have an organized investigation file ready to go if you ever need to defend yourself against potentially two murder or homicide charges? Maybe. All right, you do, don't you? I have a few files. Where are they kept? In a briefcase. And where is that briefcase kept? Uh, usually in my basement. Usually in your basement. So it's something that you reference from time to time and you move around. Is that correct? That's about it. All right. So you review that because it's really eating away at you, is it not? <laughs> no. No, it's not bugging you that you're under suspicion for over 17 years now or 16 years now? I'm sorry. Don't care? No, it's not that I don't care, sir. I do care. Next, you'll hear Devin Jacob ask questions that many people following this mystery have also asked me. I mean, you have a chance now. You got the video camera. Did something happen that maybe you didn't intend to happen? This is your chance to clear it all right now. I don't know what happened. Did you, did you put him in your car and drive him to the county line, just let him out and say, don't freaking come back in my district tonight because I'm sick of dealing with your nonsense. Is that what happened? <laughs> no. Completely innocent. Everyone would say they understand. No, that's not what happened. That's not what happened. It was after 7 p.m. when the deposition began to wrap up. Devin Jacob ends with this question, which seems to provoke one of the strongest emotional reactions from Stephen Calkins. And I'll just give you an opportunity. Do you have anything that you want to say to the families of uh, Mr. Santos or Mr. Uh, Williams to the camera, you want to say to them. In the video, Calkins leans back slightly. His arms are folded over his chest. His voice wavers. I've always been very supportive of those families. <clears throat> I can understand what you're going through. Did you ever try to reach out to either one of the families knowing what they were I didn't know going through? I didn't know where they lived or where they, where they were. Miss Williams was all over 
television in Naples trying to get answers. Amen. We were all instructed at the substation to let the detectives handle everything. And I understand what you're saying. I understand completely what you're asking me. Okay. All right. Nothing further. All right. Depositions are not meant for public consumption. So, I didn't witness it live. Gideon Calkins on record had been a critical goal for Terrence's mother, and I wanted to hear from her and lawyer Ben Crump on how they thought it turned out. Was there anything in that deposition, any details that came out that you feel could bolster the case for criminal prosecution? Well, you now have him under oath. The fact that he says he, you know, never uh, took him into custody, all the contradictions. Did you watch the deposition, Marcia? I watched the deposition. And what was that like for you to see him answer the questions? Um, the way he reacted, you could tell that he was lying. He still wasn't being truthful. You could see it all in his demeanor. But shortly after that much-anticipated sit-down with Calkins, a mistake derailed the civil case. Within six days of the Calkins deposition, the legal team for Terrence's family was supposed to file a motion for trial. The deadline was December 14, 2020. But that date came and went. A week later, on December 21st, Judge Lauren Brody ordered the confidential arbitration decision unsealed. She stated that she would enter a judgment based on that decision. Ultimately, the 10-hour deposition from Calkins wouldn't be a deciding factor. Since I had been covering the case closely, I saw the judge's order online. I scrolled quickly to the bottom of the 11-page decision from the court-appointed arbitrator. He wrote, Plaintiff Marcia Williams, as personal representative of the estate of Terrence D. Williams, shall take nothing on her claims. The arbitrator decided in favor of Calkins. I scrolled back up to read the whole thing. He acknowledged that the evidence presented did not show Calkins in a good light. Yet he wrote, Being an uncredible witness, or even a liar, does not make Calkins a murderer or guilty of manslaughter. The Williams family has suffered a terrible tragedy in the loss of a son and father, but they have not been able to show the cause of that tragedy with the more persuasive and convincing force and effect of the evidence. The legal team for Marcia scrambled, filing emergency motions, including a belated one for trial. In court filings, they blamed the mistake on a miscommunication due to changed office procedures because of the pandemic. They asked for grace and argued, quote, cases should be decided on the merits, not on technicalities. Judge Brody wasn't swayed. She denied the emergency motions. In her denial, she said she could not disregard court procedures. She also pointed to the two instances when no one representing Marcia Williams called in or showed up. Quote, this is not the first time that there has been a calendaring issue. In February 2021, she issued a final judgment and affirmed that Terrence's estate shall take nothing. The team appealed, but the decision was upheld. Terrence's estate was ordered to pay $5,599.73 in legal costs to Calkins. 
Marcia Williams and everyone who cared about this case would not get a verdict. In broad strokes, what else went wrong in how these disappearances were handled? The sheriff's office was slow to thoroughly investigate one of their own. The media didn't jump on the story. We didn't cover it as much as we should have. And the mystery has never been solved. When we started reporting this podcast shortly after the lawsuit was filed, we thought after all these years, maybe the mystery would get solved. But there didn't seem to be a clear legal path forward for Terrence's mother. There's nothing all that revelatory to draw from the suit's conclusion, aside from the importance of meeting deadlines, which, of course, as a journalist, I already knew. I'm sorry we don't have a more satisfying ending to this podcast. I'm even more sorry that the families don't have one either. In my 2022 call with Ben Crump and Marcia Williams, we talked about the outcome of the suit. What was it like for you to basically see the suit end in that way? It was, I would say it was uh, very painful for everybody. Uh, yeah. Let's yeah. talk about going forward, if we could, because, you know, you look at the system and you just shake your head sometimes. But Crump believes there are still two avenues for justice. I think that anybody who looks at this case objectively leads to the conclusion that Calkins has something to do with this. And the tragic part of the tragedy is that the bodies have not been discovered. Somebody's going to make the discovery and find them. And then once that happens, then the criminal case can be open immediately if we could ever find those bodies. Another path could be the U.S. Department of Justice. We have been made aware that the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division now has a cold case department that if they feel there's compelling evidence, they can reopen the case and reinvestigate the case and bring federal charges, especially if they believe the crimes were motivated uh, for racial reasons. What sort of uh, federal charges could be explored? It's like what they did with Breonna Taylor, violation of constitutional rights which can carry as much time as a murder charge. Crump represented Breonna Taylor's family. I was speaking with him in early August 2022, just days after the Justice Department announced federal charges against four current and former police officers for crimes related to Taylor's killing. So you look at examples of that and you say it is possible for the Department of Justice to reopen this investigation and really look at how inconceivable Calkins' story is. He said the public holds power to convince the Justice Department to take up the case. People looking at documentaries, enough people writing the Department of Justice, uh, saying to the authorities that this is uh, wrong and a lie can't live forever. So keep trying to dig away, keep talking to DOJ, 
uh, as these matters come, say, hey, don't forget the matter of Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos. I reached out to the U.S. Department of Justice and got the answer I expected. Quote, as a general matter, the department does not confirm, deny, or otherwise comment on the existence or non-existence of investigations. We declined to comment further. In my Zoom conversation with Tyler Perry, he pledged to do what he could to nudge the Justice Department. If my voice helps amplify Marcia's speaker to get people to pay attention or to get the Justice Department to open an investigation, then that is the path. And if it leads to the Justice Department, Civil Rights Division, actually taking a hard look at the case, then I've done all I can do. In nearly two decades of covering this mystery, I witnessed several flashes of hope. Yet, each flash dimmed. I've heard the phrase that hope is a muscle. If we accept that to be true, then hope is something that can be strengthened. After talking to Ben Crump and Tyler Perry, my pessimism weakened. Even if the missing men are never found, maybe there is still hope for justice. I went back through our interviews, looking to build on that feeling. There's always hope, and I'll tell you why. Monica Kaysen is with the Q Center for Missing Persons and an advocate for the missing men and their families. I've witnessed it myself. Something gets found that was missed. Somebody comes forward with a conscience. They um, maybe received uh, Christ, and it's wearing on their conscience. Or maybe even the person that had something to do with it or direct knowledge of something, they become sick and they want to clear their conscience before death. Um, And then sometimes it's just by chance. You know, you're in the right place at the right time and somebody gets in trouble and all of a sudden they're like, hey, I know about this. My colleague Ryan Mills asked this question of retired Collier County Sheriff Don Hunter, who was in charge at the time of the disappearances. Do you think we'll know someday what happened to these guys? A deathbed confession or something, it happens, uh, I don't know. I hate to speculate. Every time I have a meeting like this, I'm left with the impression that somebody knows something. If it's Mr. Hawkins that is the one who has the key that unlocks this information, then we are unlikely to know, unless he's finally going to say, no, I just really enjoyed the intrigue all these years because it bothers me that we don't know and that a deputy sheriff was somehow involved in the episodes. That bothers me today. I'm a professional still, and uh, I'm stuck on it. I'm stuck on that case. My colleague Melanie Payne asked a similar question to Doug Malloy, the former chief assistant U.S. attorney who assembled the multi-agency team to investigate Calkins. Do you think that this is a lost cause? No, it's not a lost cause. It's not a lost cause inside me or those investigators. Um, And now you. This doesn't end. It's not over. We also asked Julia Perkins of the Coalition of Immokalee Workers, which has advocated for the family of Felipe Santos. She said the family is grateful people haven't forgotten about Felipe. There have to be answers. When I've spoken with the family, this is how they feel, too. It's like, how long do we hold out hope for? Um, But at the same time, 
we can't give up, how do we have the kind of closure that provides justice for Felipe and his family? And I, I don't know. I don't have those answers. I don't have those answers either. I wish I did. There are answers that can be brought to light. What will it take for the right people to reveal them? I asked Marcia Williams, the most visible victim of this story, whether she still had hope. It's been so long. How do you continue to put one foot before the other and keep thinking about what next, what next? It's all by the grace of God. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I know how to do it because I don't, because there are days that I just want to break down. But it's all by the grace of God because I know that God has my back. He's the God of justice, Janine. It is going to be a day that we all find out what happened to Terrence and Felipe. So you still have hope, Marcio? You never give up hope. No, you never give up hope. On that thought, thank you for investing your time in learning more about these mysterious disappearances. If you have any information that could be helpful, please, please reach out to Southwest Florida Crime Stoppers at 800-780-8477. I'm Janine Zeitlin, producer, reporter, writer. Audio editor and co-producer is Amanda Inscore of the Naples Daily News and the News Press. Directing and sound design by Richard Chinqui of WGCU. Reporting by Ryan Mills and Melanie Payne. Executive producers are WGCU executive producer Pamela James and News Press executive editor Cindy McCurry-Ross. Additional support from Aaron Register, Dana Harpster, Corey Lewis, Dan McCoy, and Scott Stein. Original theme music by Christopher Russell. Audio assistance by Jared Gonzalez. Legal review by Tom Curley. The Last Ride was a collaboration of the USA Today Network Florida and WGCU Public Media, distributed by the NPR Network. If you liked this podcast, please rate us or write a review so that more people know about the disappearances of Felipe Santos and Terrence Williams. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts.